The following show will contain spoilers, but trust us, you'll want to hear about it anyway. Christ! We're not hunting him! He's hunting us! Welcome to Subversive Cinema. I have known you since you were a kid, Ricky. Ever since you were seven and eight years old, you've shown superhuman strength. Disrespectful conduct, flippant and tasteless verbal remarks. No, no, I'm afraid that they wouldn't approve of that at all. Greetings one and all. It is your host, Art, here for our second episode of Season 3, Subversive Cinema, where we look at the weird, wacky, and downright wrong entries in cinematic history and try to figure out what makes them oh-so-sticky, sweet, and yummy with their subversiveness. And we do that by looking at characters, story, and what-the-fuck. Today, we are looking at Slasher Camp Murder of Kids classic film, 1983 Sleepaway Camp, by written and directed by Robert Hiltzik. And to talk about it, we have none other than the man who is is the, the specialist of all things slasher in 80s horror, Mr. Sean, a.k.a. Jonesy. How are you doing, man? Wow, what an intro. I, I don't think, I don't know if I've earned that title, but man. You know about so many of these, you need to give yourself more credit. Uh, you know, I'm wearing my Camp Crystal Lake shirt for you today. There it is. Nice. I like it. Camp, camp counselor, just to get in the spirit <laughs> of things. Oh, good luck. You're not going to make it very long. <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> Though, then again, a majority of the people killed in this film are actually the children, uh, which is something that is uh, deviously wonderful and very very different about this movie but we'll get into that soon enough uh i'm not even going to ask you if you've heard of this film because i know you have i think you've seen it probably at least uh, a square root more than i ever have but um so I... how did you first hear about it let me ask you that how did you ever get into sleepaway camp since you are a bit of a fan of it oh man that is it you know it's just become such a part of me at this point so organically that i I don't remember how I initially got into it. I just remember like, I remember not seeing it all the way through in the eighties when it would have been the heyday of renting the video cassette. Um, I discovered it way late, like in my thirties. And then when I did, I was just telling everybody that I could, you know, 20 years too late apparently, but like just telling everybody <laughs> I could about this movie because it's so batshit. And uh, <laughs> I, I think my favorite sub, I think my favorite sub genre of all horror is a movie set at camp. I think that's my favorite, even though like I'm a Michael Myers guy and that hits home because I grew up in the suburbs and Haddonfield reminds me of where I grew up. Uh, there, you know, I don't, I don't hold the Friday the 13th movies to uh, the same, uh, film standard, I should say, as some sure. other, other horror movies, but they're so fun to watch with friends. They're just pure delight, pure fun. And I, over the years, I just realized when I'm alone, the one that I go to the most or like put on with friends, I love the camp, set at camp horror movie uh, more than any other subgenre. I think I, I really dig it myself as well. And I wonder... If it's related somehow to, you know, I don't know if you ever went to summer camp as a kid, you know, if there's 
that sort of memory for some people for I others count who, on, I can count on one hand. So I'm almost living vicariously through these films. Maybe that's part of it. You know, I think that the, it, it there's something unique about summer camps and that whole tradition that I, I feel so removed. I don't even know if this happens anymore. I don't know if summer camps are a thing anymore. And let's just forget about the whole COVID business. Just in general, I don't even know if summer camps like where you go and stay are a thing. I know there's a lot of day camps. They there are. It still exists, but the but you know they're getting updates constantly electronically. The parents. So so this sort of time period of camp movies is sort of a last bastion fantasy, especially for young people of true free range kids. And that, and you know what I mean? That, that age group, because uh, they would have to wait for a letter in the mail to see how they were liking camp. Yeah. Uh, unless it was an emergency, you know, they would let them make a phone call usually, but, but yeah, like nowadays they're getting like hour by hour or day by day updates or summaries. Um, so, so the, you know, that doesn't exist anymore where they are truly on their own. It's like their first taste of how they'll feel in college. That's a really great point. And this is also another example of how the constant connectivity of our digital age and cell phones has completely fucked our experience or our ability to experience unique and novel and, and thrilling and frightening things because we always have that electronic tether keeping us tied in to the rest of the world. But fuck it, whatever. These movies are fun, they're awesome whether it's Sleepaway Camp or um, obviously Friday the 13th. Uh, there's a whole litany of these things. I think there's another one about a guy who got burnt. I forgot what it's oh, called. Oh, the, the burning. The burning, it? that's it. The burning. You know, there's a, we keep going and going. There's a bunch of them. So today we are talking about Sleepaway Camp, which, as I already mentioned, is a bit notorious in that it's not the counselors getting it. It's the kids. And uh, as we find out, it's all because of a kid. Uh, and also, uh, just it's such a great fucking setup and a great twist, which we'll get to. So let's talk a little bit. What is this movie about? So it tells the story of Angela Baker. Uh, I'm reading this directly from IMDb. Angela Baker, a shy, traumatized young girl, is sent to summer camp with her cousin shortly upon her arrival. Anyone with sinister or less than honorable intentions towards her gets their comeuppance. And essentially, yeah, so we are introduced to this camp in the beginning of the film. It's destitute. Nobody's there. You're hearing the echoes of the experiences long gone, and you see the camp's been sold. So it's clearly present day, and then we kind of flash back even further to a boating accident that kills a child, one of two siblings, and the father. And then we go to... Um, I guess, present day before the camp is sold. And we are met with Angela and her cousin, Ricky. And, and Ricky's batshit mom, Aunt Martha. Aunt Martha. Which I, we, I, we're going to talk about her very soon. <laughs> I she, could conservatively talk about her for an, an hour. Absolutely. There's, there's a lot to drill into there. <laughs> and they go off to camp. And as the breakdown says... People who are mean to Angela end up dying very, very, very nasty ways. And it's almost instantaneous. So that goes on until we find out what's really going on. 
and you know we're gonna go ahead and str- and we're gonna stretch that little reveal out for a bit so we'll we'll get to that later so sleepaway camp it's a story about incredibly short shorts kids <laughs> being assholes seemingly accepted pedophilic tendencies oh my god yes and poor mozart <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna oh, go I with love that you point out mozart what a, uh, you got to man you got an to. unsung hero of cinema god damn right so let's get into it sean shall we so let's talk about the first category characters so which character or characters stood out to you and why i have three um well let, let let's start at the beginning yes. and fucking martha wow <sighs> What a performance. This is the biggest showcase for what appears to be a community theater staple, wherever yes. she's from. Uh, I don't know her backstory. I've tried to look up, research the actress. If you have any. She has not done much at all. She literally would do a movie. She did a movie in 79, then this movie. And then she fucked off for 23 years. Whoa. And then did another movie four years later and another one four years after that. And she has since passed on. She died oh. in 2021 at the age of 76. Her name is oh. her name is Desiree Gould. And uh, community theater icon is what I would is what I'm gonna call her. And you know the thing is, is that I I love Desiree so much because i and i don't mean that in like a making fun of her way i feel like when you if you just take the aunt martha's dialogue and you and you try to imagine it on the page in black and white with no emotion the way it is written is so formal and so odd that i think this actress made the bold choice to be wacky and funny and to to overdo like, I think this, all of her performance, I like to imagine it, whether I'm correct or not, was a bold choice that she was self-aware about, and that makes me love her even more. Well, let's see. Hurry, sweeties, we don't want to be late for the boss. Goodness, no. no that wouldn't do at all. Richard, Angela. Oh, here you are. Look what I did. I packed you and your cousin some goodies for the ride up to camp. Wasn't that nice of me? Hmm? <laughs> she she reminds me, I, I, if I didn't know any better, I would have swore it would have been the same actress with a different age as the one that was in Troll 2 who played the witch in the woods because she has they have the exact same you know, bell of the ball community theater actress that yes. in their small town of fuck off Wisconsin, yeah. they are like, you know, they're who play Lady Macbeth. And, you know, and they, they you know, it, this was a really good get for the company, you know? Absolutely. And I, and yeah, there's something about her that, um, they are such distinct choices. They, they're, they, at that time period when this movie was made, they were, she's making choices that were already like in comedy sketches, like people making fun of that type of acting. Yeah. So I just, I think that she's self-aware. I really do. I, I, regardless 
of, of if they were all on purpose or not. I think we were robbed by the fact that she had so few roles in cinema. I would agree. And, but look at it this way with a sleepaway camp, she comes in fucking engines roaring and sets up the tone for this. I mean, look, why, of course you do, dear. We wouldn't want them to leave without us, now would we? No? No, I'm afraid that that wouldn't do. <laughs> I love her asides and the, the gentle drumming on her chin and then almost breaking the fourth wall a couple times where I don't know if she's staring at the director, the cameraman, or just shy of the lens. <laughs> but there's a couple where I'm like, I feel like she's looking right into my soul. She is almost right down the barrel, as they say, right into the lens. Yes. Off. <laughs> do, you, do you think that, uh, I mean, what's your opinion, Art? Do you think that uh, all of those asides were written in the script? Or do you think that she contributed that with the director? Hmm. Oh, I remember what it is. I knew I wouldn't forget. I just kept reminding myself. In fact, I tied a string around around my finger so I wouldn't forget. I <laughs> I couldn't help it. She was calling me. You can play as many Aunt Martha clips as you want to. Buddy. Oh yeah. <laughs> I believe I believe that those were all in the script. I have a sneaking suspicion that what we see on the screen is what was on the page in every single fucking scene. And this speaks to something that about this movie that I like so much is that there is a pretty decent leveling right down the middle of people who are believable and people who are just extra. And what happens to me is that most of the adults are extra and much of the kids are believable. And what I find interesting is there's a handful or a very small representation of adults that are on the kids' side. And those are actually played fairly straight. So now I'm really wondering if this was all a happy accident or if Robert Hiltzik actually had this in mind where he's trying to create a very clear divide for the audience that these kids are who you get on board with and it's like them against, the, they are segregated from the adults, period. You know, Even though they're yeah. surrounded, they're alone because they're just wacky. And maybe it's how kids perceive adults, you know? I, it's been a long time oh. since I was a kid, so maybe it's telling the story from a youthful point of view. I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. You know, it really is. This is one, this is like majorly uh, told from a, yes, a very young point of view. I, you know, look, I mean, I, again, I don't know the, the story behind Desiree. I just like to think that uh, one of two things happened. Uh, the director saw her in a community theater play and was like, bravo. I, she, she is gonna, she's got a, cap my movie off like in the early scene she's gotta we gotta showcase her or speaking of subversive cinema she read it and was like i'm going to subvert this script and i i don't think the director knows what he's doing enough to know that i'm subverting the script i might believe you because if you look at this director He's directed all of two things, Sleepaway Camp and Return to Sleepaway Camp, which was made 25 years later. And I have, that's the only Sleepaway Camp I have not seen. So you've seen the other where he didn't write them. They were based on his characters, his uh, his ideas. So part two, three, and four. Yes. But Return to Sleepaway Camp, you it's back with the original maestro. So perhaps that should be next on the list for you. 
is that a, is that readily available? I believe so. It's it was one of those straight to video deals. You might have to look around. It's on Amazon for oh Blu-ray God. and DVD. It's not on Prime, but okay. it is around. All so. right. Well, well, that that is my assignment. I am going to find Return to Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> there you go. Oh man. Okay. So you know what? Given the fact that he's only done two things, chances are I think it was probably her call to subvert shit, and <laughs> everything just sort of <laughs> fell in the place. I just want to give her credit. I think she's. Oh great. yeah, she she's wonderful. Rest in peace, Desiree. Yeah. So my guy, I want to call out for all of his smarmy nastiness, despite having a great name, is Artie the Pervert Cook. Wow. And we are introduced to him as well as none other than James Earl Fucking Jones's dad. <laughs> Robert yep. Earl Jones in the scene. It was so funny. I forgot that they were related. I saw the name in the credits and I was like, oh, that must be James Earl Jones's brother. Ha ha ha. And then I see the man and they are so similar in their sound and mannerisms. I was like, oh, fuck. No, that's his dad. But I love that this is the first thing we get to meet Artie the perv as he's chilling down, drinking an MGD, oh. <laughs> chewing on some hay. Oh. Look at all that young, fresh chicken. Where I come from, we call them baldies. Makes your mouth water, don't it? Artie, they're too young to even understand what's on your mind. Then, good buddy, there ain't no such thing as being too young. You're just too old. Oh, my God, what a fucking douchebag. <laughs> Dear Lord, this is dialogue in the first 10 minutes of this movie. Yes. Yes, it is. Like, we are barely in, and we are instantly met with this fat, greasy-looking schlub ball. And, uh, well, look, he's only done one film, this movie. This is also a, a, <laughs> this is a reoccurring theme for this film for some fucking reason. So many of the people who were in this movie did either just this or... This plus one other thing kind of relating to Sleepaway Camp, or maybe one or two things, and that's it. The yeah. only person who really seemed to to hit a stride after this was Felissa Rose. She's been working like gangbusters over 160 credits. It's crazy. Well, I will say, though, the person who made it the biggest was Paul. He's in one of my favorite 80s movies that is not subversive cinema, uh, the Manhattan Project with John Lithgow. It's abs- and and Cynthia Nixon. Fantastic movie. Ah, uh, yes, you're. Yep, I see it here. I uh, yeah. That so this was his first film, and he really went on to do quite a bit. So yeah, so there you go. You have two people. You he got went, Paul and Angela. Major studio pictures. Who went on to do things? I mean, you got Karen Fields who played Judy. She did this and then a short film about Judy. That's it. I mean, I guess you got Ricky, Jonathan Tiersten. He went on and did some stuff. He, he's been working for a bit. But but really, you know, not even my main man, Paul D'Angelo, muscly arms and short oh, shorts. God, I love that him. dude, he, he did come back for the sequel, Return to Sleepaway Camp. Love it. You know, he's only done about five things, too. So, you know. Anyway, so here we go. We, we got that guy. That guy is one of my other ones. What other characters stand out to you? Um... Uh, well, actually, sort of in line with this is um, instead of somebody, this is their first film and they may have gone on to something. Ah. These, they, these seem like the twilight years of a career for somebody who had done a lot of work. Mel. Yep. Mel worked, he worked a lot in Hollywood. And this, 
I, boy, I, I got to feel like the rest of his performances that I've missed over the years before Sleepaway Camp, probably better than the performance of Mel because he seems like a first-time actor in this film. You know what's funny to me? Yeah, Mike Kellen, he's been around for a while. He actually died three months before this film came out from lung cancer. Apparently, he was very ill when they were filming this, and he managed to hide it pretty well. Oh, well, now I feel like a dick. But... If you were to hear him talk, <laughs> I, th hold on, I gotta, I gotta hear just a little bit <laughs> of Mel here, just to give everybody the idea of of the guy's cadence, right? Matter. It was obviously an accident. I mean, the boy might have got scared and panicked, right? That could be a logical explanation. So it was one of those fluke accidents we could not have foreseen, and that is all there is to it. I don't know. It was an accident. So you hear that man, and I want. It was an accident. <laughs> I want you to realize. A year before this, he played King Lear in the tragedy of King Lear. So I'm just trying to imagine how the fuck that sounded in my Whoa. mind. Oh, yeah, that's crazy to me. He has such a distinctive look of a character actor. He does. Like, I can't imagine him doing Shakespeare. And this isn't an indictment on talent or anything. It's just the sound. He just, you know, he sounds just so like... He's from like Staten Island or or fucking old, old Staten Island, yeah, long neck. Like like the thing is that for anyone who has not seen the movie, which you absolutely should, um, uh, he he if he is not sucking on a cigar, his face looks like he's sucking on a cigar. Yes, <laughs> it does entirely. He smokes cigars in this movie, but I'm saying the scenes where he, there is not a cigar in sight. That's what you think of an old creepy uncle that's sucking on a gross cigar. You know, it's funny. Speaking of creepy uncle, there is one exchange that he has that it was just so fucking weird to me. Does it have to do with Meg? Yes. <laughs> My dear Lord. Hey, guess who has the night off tonight? Oh, congratulations. Listen, I was thinking. Remember that dinner you promised me up at your place? Yeah. Uh, 9, 9.30? You got it. See you then. <laughs> okay, again, not to disparage a man who is uh, who is no longer with us. Jesus Christ, he died shortly after I was born, so he's been gone I, a long time. I, I did not realize that he that he was sick during the film, and I did not realize that he died right before it was released. But I have to say, well, actually, I wrote this in my notes. Yes. Art, I have another question for you. What yes. is your opinion about this? Do you think that this role of Mel, even though maybe they changed the name when they cast him or whatever. But do you think that the role of the owner of the camp was written for a younger actor originally? You know, that's that's an interesting question. That would certainly answer a lot <laughs> about this problem. Yeah, that's my thing. Because uh, I guess it, it would go in line with, you know, the Friday the 13th thing where the owner of the camp was a pretty young guy. He was just a little bit older. Yeah, kind of a hippie dude, kind of, you know. Yeah, so that would make a lot of sense. I, You know, it's interesting. Now I have to watch it again through that lens and see if there's anything in the dialogue that betrays that sort of well, background like, story. Because you know? 
because there are things that are the, part of the fun of this movie is that there are things that are completely inept about the filmmaking and the direction and some of the acting and dialogue. Okay. Oh, there's a lot of categories that are inept, but which makes it fun. But uh, I don't think that anyone's inept enough to plan from the beginning, the early stages that Meg who is playing a seven, maybe 18 year old, but she looks young. She's a 19 year old playing probably an eight, 17 year old. Yeah. It's that she is desperate to have a romantic dinner date with Mel. The 61 year old camp guy. Sucking on a cigar, wearing his tall black socks with shorts and white shoes. Come on. Oh, but you know, he gets dolled up to the nines for, for when he goes to look for her. He does. He is very color coordinated, Mel. He is lime green pants and a piss yellow jacket. It's fantastic. <laughs> and uh, of course, he doesn't know that his sweet, sweet date is uh, unfortunately has been dispatched at this point. Have you seen Meg anywhere? She's off tonight now. Yeah, I know. She was supposed to meet me about an hour ago. Did you check the bug? Hmm? Not yet. If you see it, tell her I'm looking for her, will you see? The sketchiest looking fucking canteen. Like, I don't, I want to know more about this building, but we'll get into that. I know. Me too. And do you have a, uh, not to jump on your, sure. on your, on your thing, but do you have a clip of when Mel finds Meg? <laughs> I do actually. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's so fucking good. Oh, here we go. Now, there, I saw the King Lear. <laughs> I uh, listen. Uh, yeah, actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, backtrack something I said before about it because he's asked as an actor to take five turns that should take four scenes to have that character like go process. He sees this young girl, way too young girl that is that he's interested in romantically murdered and slaughtered then he is trying to figure out who did it then he figures out who did it then he's getting his revenge and then he promises his dead betrothed that he will have his revenge for her i mean this guy in like 12 seconds is asked to do so much as an actor yes <laughs> oh man you know I I'm just going to have to go. I've decided I just wrote the narrative in my head. I think they had to have made it as an old man from the very beginning, purely because this guy's clearly hanging dong and it's going around the counselors. They all know there comes creepy Mel with his huge schlong tucked into his pulled up socks. He's the guy you date with. One line would have really helped that that idea. I would have loved that. Maybe that was on the cutting room floor. <laughs> I, I, Art, I love the, how much credit you just gave the filmmakers that there was anything whatsoever on the cutting room floor of this film. <laughs> well, funny you should say, uh, allegedly there is one thing that they did cut or tone down, which is the oh. Judy's death scene. 
that apparently it was supposedly more graphic where everything in this is played in shadow and off camera mm-hmm. and it's left to your own imagination about the hair curler being uh, inserted into her and burning her from the inside. But apparently there was an angle. Oh, no. I was going to say purely in shadow, the way it appears in the final cut is still tasteless. So that's incredible. Well, considering some of the shit we talk about on this show, eh, you know, it's par for the course. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this movie has characters ad nauseum. We could just keep going on and on forever, but we don't unfortunately have forever. So let's move on to the next section. The story. What do you think about this story? Oh, man. I... <sighs> Okay, so not to sound total, I, I hope I don't sound as douchey as I think I'm sounding, but as an actor and someone who is recently been thrust into the writing world, I, you know, I, and that's why I say recently, I am by no means an expert, but I, I, I'm now watching things and reading things in a different manner than I may have used to about like character and theme and arc and all that stuff. And I will say, that uh, this seems like they had two really good twists and 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 ideas, uh, and they just built a movie around those two things. But like they 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 had some big picture ideas, but execution of scripts and getting performances is sort of where they were like, look, there's a bunch of slashers out there. There's a bunch of camp slashers out there. If we just get this thing in the can and filmed and edited, like we're going to make a lot of money because we have that edge of our, of our twists. But uh, story-wise, I think what they overlooked because they were living with this, this complicated, it, it as as weird a movie as it is as as inept as it is it is complicated as shit and so a character and relationships and stuff so they just kind of left the audience behind you have to watch this thing so many times to understand like who's related to who who is actually this It, it it is it's a lot and i feel like they really they really did not they definitely didn't test audience this shit. I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, isn't this great how this plays out? And it's like, no, I don't understand half of this shit. Look, I have to watch it 10 times. You don't it. need to test it when you have moments like this. Two. Three. You guys are gross. <laughs> and that was the sound of Mozart's nose hitting another boy's butt cheeks. An underage boy's ass his nose slapping against it It oh yes like if the camera was slightly to the left we would have had anus (laughs) straight up anus in this movie uh yeah so anyway so the story yes there's there's some there's a yeah there is certainly some bending and complex shit as far as who is related to who and how and yes once you see it a couple times or you know you get it but I think part of that is because they lay down everything you need for the most part to see where this is going. I like twists and gimmicks, but I don't like it when they 
completely bend, if not break the rules of, of disbelief to accomplish right. it. So here they do a lot, and I'll forgive the beginning because you don't really know who died and you just go on with it. Like, I remember when I first watched it, I had no fucking idea. But I did find it strange because when I watched this, I watched the Blu-ray transfer. Oh, and Bobby, oh, humble brag. <laughs> I, I just always love to watch as good as I can. But the problem with it is you see too much. And when it comes time for Judy's death scene, you see the killer standing in her doorway backlit. Now, on film, VHS, DVD, you just see a silhouette. It's honestly even not 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 Blu-ray art. Even on Shutter and Amazon, you see too much. That, yeah, it says they do the HD transfer on that, and you can see very clearly that it is the actor that plays Ricky standing there in a wig. And they cheated. And they cheated because. Hey, we're getting to the part we're going to talk about, uh, I mentioned earlier. The killer is Angela, because Angela isn't a she, it's a he. In the beginning, it was the daughter who got killed. And when the aunt took the son in, she wanted a daughter so bad, she made him become a girl. Dress like a girl, grow hair out, and so on and so forth. Now, I don't know how the plan would have actually worked once, you know, real puberty hit, you know? But uh, at yeah, some point... The was, Adam's apple has to pop and all that stuff, right? Yeah, one of the few clues they give you in the beginning with my beloved Aunt Martha is that they mention for the second time that she's a doctor. Yes. And, and that don't tell anybody, I did the physicals and gave you the permission slips of the physicals. Don't show, don't tell anybody. Yeah, look, there's nothing sketchy about this, right? Just be careful not to tell anyone how you got them. No, I'm afraid that they wouldn't approve of that at all. No, no, they wouldn't at all. <laughs> and, and Rick and Ricky is like, don't worry, mom, I'll keep it a secret. And we're like, what are they talking about? I know it's just it, it's it's so a throwaway thing. And that's perfectly fine. But yeah. So anyway, that that's a thing that I didn't like very much was that you could see who it was. And that's honestly such a small thing, you know, but it, it does sort of take you out because it's very, very clear. To the viewer who is standing there and who's but while we're on this category art i'm gonna throw another one your way that i would love your opinion mm -hmm. i've seen this movie so many times and it took me a long time to figure out like who is cousins with who and really like a boy and a girl and who is but uh and the dads were lovers this guys you have to see this movie to like know what we're yeah talking. but uh what do you think the intent was because it, it's not clear to me. What do you think the intent was with the flashback bed spinning scene? So the two, so the cousins have seen the, the, the Ricky and the cousin who was a boy who is now going by Angela, who the, who Aunt Martha has made uh, live their life as a girl. They see their two dads in a homosexual relationship. And they're giggling in the doorway. Now that part's clear. Why do they cut to them on a spinning bed with the boy, with Ricky, pointing at Angela? I've heard many theories about this. I would love to know your opinion about that. Let's look at the scene you're talking about. So the precursor is the lead up. You have Angela, who is on the beach with Paul, and he is kissing her neck and uh, starting to unbutton her shirt. And then that's when we cut to the boy and the girl giggling. Now, this, I'm assuming, is the boy and the girl from the very beginning, 
right? Because the dad's still alive, so it's the brother and sister. Oh, yes, 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 you're correct. So you see the brother and sister watching their father and another man in bed, and then you see them pointing at each other. They're rotating around the bed. The brother, who is Angela, that we find out later, is moving his finger very slowly towards his sister's chest. And then this happens. So my best guess would be that we never see their mother. We only see the father. Right. So what we have is we have one father and he's having an affair with his sister's husband. And then right. we see these two kids watching it. And what I'm, what I'm thinking here then is it is uh, their first time seeing intimacy between two adults. Right. And very much like many kids, they, you know, are very curious and siblings don't know any better. They might want to try to experiment. So perhaps that is an allusion to an experiment that the two did together. And obviously we cut away. I have heard that's, I've heard that theory. And I was just curious what you thought. Cause I, yeah, I think I, it's, I'm very confused by that whole, I scene. think it unpacks a lot for what's going in Angela. Once you understand what's happening, that she is a, he, uh, biologically, however you want to put it. Yeah, but, uh, but what would, what would, uh, like clinically speaking, what would a brother and sister incestuous experimentation or playing, or maybe it's as innocent as playing doctor, have to do with uh, the, per the boy who becomes, who is forced to live their life as Angela, what would it have to do with them seeing their father with another man and then living their life as a man? He's if he's with his sister, that's a heterosexual relationship. Yes, but I think what's happening is this all is triggered by the moment on the beach with Paul, where it sends uh, her into a memory of watching two men and saying, Maybe that's that's what we know, and then trying whatever with their sibling, and then realizing that maybe what's happening right now doesn't feel right. That, you know, he has been forced to live as Angela to grow as Angela. And after so many years, eight, I think about eight years of this essential, essentially reprogramming, didn't know what she wanted. Yeah. And then now that she's there, it goes too far. And then maybe it just goes in the face of what she wants. Well, she's already, she's already an unhinged. So yeah. Or maybe the other thing is maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's the fact that she will be found out because he is trying to unbutton her shirt. So I, it goes a, both he ways. Makes a huge deal of kids throwing her in the water. Uh, yes. I, well, I understand that she's absolutely petrified of water. I get that, you know. But it's just. Oh, I was know. misreading. Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. I was misreading that somehow of putting a hat on a hat of right that she was traumatized, but also she could be found out. Well, it could be. It could be both. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So. Uh... <laughs> also, can I just do the disclaimer right now? Please. As like two straight dudes talking yes. about this movie. This movie is salacious. This movie, my big, big thing, and maybe this comes up in another category, but I just want to say this now. This movie has no taste. <laughs> and this movie is incompetent in so many ways. So like, it's a fun watch for us, but trigger warning to many other people of different stripes of life like this is banking on 
the shock value of non-heterosexual relationships just sort of not um, going with what used to be considered the norm. Right. Sexuality. And so by today's standards, if you haven't seen this, I feel like I need to throw out the trigger warning. Like we, like I'm not getting enjoyment from that, that those dated concepts. I'm getting enjoyment out of the, uh, the sort of like incompetence of the filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. Look, the movie's 40 years old, you know, yeah. shit was different. Mm -hmm. uh, thoughts were different. Opinions were different. Everything. Yeah, but, it, but I mean, I'm just saying like, it, like this is a great conversation to have mm -hmm. because um, like I found, I finally watched Cruising. Oh yeah. Al Pacino yeah. And, and, um, uh, and that's a William Friedkin film. And I was like, oh, I haven't, there's a William Friedkin film out there I haven't seen. I kind of enjoyed the murder mystery and the grittiness of that time period in New York. Sure. I absolutely understand why the gay community was like, we finally get a movie about like, that is wrapped in uh, like gay culture and we get this, that's what we're putting out to the public that we're all deviants and murderers. We like, get leather bars and fisting, I, yeah. Yeah, well, and also if you're if you're into BDSM, God bless you because it's it's consensual and there's rules and there's things like they're portraying it as like a free for all deviants and they're just you know it's 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 shown in a dark mm -hmm. judgmental way i i believe i agree with audiences of the time and it is and they're they're associating it the main storyline with a serial killer so i totally understand that's the sense that i'm that i feel when i watch sleepaway camp as well is like it's just somebody who is just like ooh, wouldn't this be shocking but there's like no understanding of the actual people that uh, that they're misrepresenting in the film. That's I just wanted to say that. That is true, and that is also the unique identifying factor for so much trash cinema. Absolutely. I think it's time that we move on to our final segment. Uh, let's try to brush through whatever WTF is left that we haven't touched on, uh, and let me start it just by saying this. It just doesn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> da, da. I, 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 that has to be the, the, the A number one WTF of the movie because nobody saw that coming. Nobody saw that there's going to be a naked man standing there with Angela's head. And that was done by uh, recruiting a local college kid who apparently had to get really drunk before doing his full frontal scene, even though he's wearing a mask cast from the face of Angela. So yeah, so that was a crown jewel of this uh, this film. This is really what they were writing on, was that, that huge twist, that huge turn, was that uh, she was a he. So uh, eat your heart out. Um, Six oh, cents? No. <sighs> oh, the crying game. That's it. <laughs> Thank you, I couldn't remember. <laughs> eat your heart out, crying game. <laughs> 
God, how did I forget that title? But yes, thank you. And Sixth Sense. So uh, what up? I bet you M. Night Shyamalan saw this. And he's like, you know what? If I make a dick, death. Yeah. Nobody will see that shit coming. There we go. The dick is a superhero. The dick is a superhero. That's right. Oh, my God. This is one of those all-time talked about endings. Yes. Absolutely. Like, this, this is just like... Take away the, you know, the 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 modern eye and the PC uh, segment that I did yes. disclaimer I did. This is just bat shit, and you really do not see it coming. Even though we talked about like some of the building blocks they did early in the film, it's just crazy. But the what the fuck factor is just so many things on top of other things like. <laughs> Hey, why is Angela making that fucking noise? I know that. <laughs> why is she making that gaped off face, which yes. is super creepy, so creepy that they freeze frame on. I think that's track. why they did it. Cause it's just disturbing. <laughs> it's absolutely disturbing. And, and I love, I love the quaintness of, well, we're doing this visually. We're doing this big reveal, but we have to have a character say, Oh my God, Angela is a boy. <laughs> that's my, hey man, that's my boy, Paul D'Angelo, Mr. Short Shorts. Oh my God. Shortest shorts <laughs> in the biz. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I the biggest question I want to ask the, the generation that is the 80s, I just want to ask that time period, how were there not more nut sacks and tip hanging out of pants? That's yeah. what I want to know. Yeah, I love this movie. If you don't know, is all about um, short shorts, way too short shorts, and a cut off men's cut off shirts. Oh God, yes, so many midriffs. Yeah. So another WTF I'll call out is again. I love the boldness of this movie to off kids. Uh, it's just. Yes. It's amazing. And I think it's pinnacle is when the counselor returns to discover all the sleeping bags have been turned into ground beef and stuffing. That is effed up. Oh. Somebody. Help. 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 Actually, he did pretty well with that. Yeah, there was actually so many shots of those bloody sleeping bags. It's just it, and it's funny. It's the wrong word. It's interesting because you don't <laughs> see the violence happen. It's actually the most oh. egregious shit in this movie. You don't see happen. It all happens off camera in, and it's in the moments between. You know. Yeah. Um, you just see all the kids going to bed, and then that's that. And then next thing you know, you see somebody approaching an axe. You know that shit's not going to be good. Same thing with Angela. Nope, sorry, not Angela. <laughs> Judy. <laughs> Same thing with Judy. Yeah. You know, seeing the shadowy figure come. I, I'd say... Art, um... Art, you hit on something I never thought of before. Mm. Totally right, which is like, we were talking in the beginning about like how there's this like uh, fantasy of young people renting camp movies or going, or, or, or that, era, that era of people, that generation going to camp and having like true freedom for the first time wow like if you're a younger person renting this movie back in the day and then you just see all these kids turned into hamburger meat like that is 
That is bold. And I, I will say uh, that is one of the, I think, the most effective on purpose choices in this movie. I agree. Well, uh, what WTF moment stood out to you that might not have been mentioned already? Holy shit. Okay, so <laughs> besides Meg wanting Mel. Yes. <laughs> besides the crazy ending and besides the kids. Oh, boy, that's a great question. I feel like, oh, okay. All right. Okay, I got one. One of the best slash worst stage mustaches ever put on film. So there's a cop throughout the movie who apparently, very obviously, thought he was done filming, shaved his mustache, and in the end scene that's building to the crazy ending, he has a glued-on piece of black felt on his <laughs> Yes, face. he does. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. It, it is so fantastically bad. I remember reading about that, that he did think he was done, he shaved it off. They're like, yeah. hey, we need you back. And then out, he looks like without the mustache and this fake one, he looks like Topher Grace on that 70s show <laughs> trying to go incognito. You know, he's just like, uh, hi, I'm, I'm not Topher Grace. No, not at all. I've never seen that 70s show. What do you think? I don't know anything about it. It's wonderful. <laughs> I also am a fan of blatant... <laughs> attempts at violence in this when Mozart gets pushed too far and then he jumps up and he pulls out a fucking buck knife That's and crazy. then he's he says he's literally starting to chase around Ricky with this fucking knife and they all and, laugh it off and they're laughing this is the craziest part until the counselor comes in he's like hey hey now come on you'll be lucky if you get that back at the end of but summer. all he does is like put it under and his... he puts it under a pile of socks or something oh it's crazy crazy it's wackadoo it's, uh, it's, somehow it's... some actually art great point somehow a kid saying i'm going to kill you unsheathing a buck knife and chasing a kid around the room seemingly looking like he's trying to catch catch up with them the counselor being like, ah, you crazy kids, you're not getting this knife till the end of the thing. But somebody throws a water balloon at Angela and they're like, you could have knocked an eye out. Indeed. I saw the whole business. You realize how dangerous those things are? You could have taken her eye out. <laughs> <laughs> My God, how, how many, how many uh, eyes are taken out in a year by water balloons. That's what I want to know. I, I'm waiting for a Sarah McLaughlin song to come on and some <laughs> some uh, some statistics to be done in an italic font on the screen. So. <laughs> just one of my, just, I just please, if you've seen it, watch it again. And if you haven't, oh my God, watch it with friends and just embrace the bizarre choices and the, and the wackiness. Let's let's get the real the real mystery out of the way here. So how subversive is this film, Sean, in your opinion? Scale one to ten. How saucy is it? Oh man. I this is this is up there. This is like a they all have their different reasons for being subversive. And this one is like a this is like a nine. I think it's a nine for me because uh you have like um for pure entertainment reasons, like touches of like pedophilia and violations by weapons of women and 
uh, completely inappropriate romantic age relationships. And there's just there and oh, and just like, like I listen, I, I opine for the age when kids in movies talk like kids when the parents aren't around, they swear. Yeah. Somehow this movie still shocks me. <laughs> the way these children speak in this movie, I'm just like, oh my God, I turn into like, a, I don't have any kids and I turn into a dad. I'm like, whoa, too much, bro, too much. So yeah, there is just, there. this, this movie has no filter. And I say, and the reason why it's so rewatchable, it doesn't have a lot of taste. And that is what is fascinating to me. So I'm giving it a nine. I will 100% agree with that. Sometimes you just need to put taste on the shelf and just let that inner lizard brain and id feed on trash and and <laughs> Oh, vulgarity. it's such wonderful trash. Just need to, just need to. Well, this has been awesome as always, Sean. It's great to have you on to talk about these movies. This is fantastic times. Do you have anything you'd like to share before I let you go for the evening? Oh, I don't know. Uh, you know, follow me on um, Instagram, uh, Jones 610 uh, Check out my, I don't know, this is so lame. IMDB, I'm Sean Owens 1. I'm currently working on the reboot of, uh, well, as a stand-in, uh, but... Uh, more news to come wink, wink. Uh, I'm currently working on the reboot of Night Court which has been a delight yes the only person back is John Larroquette but somehow they've managed to build a show around it and it is a delight to work on nice awesome well appreciate you taking the time having fun to hang out here man with you it's great and, and, and uh, so until next time everybody check Sean out Check out Sleepaway Camp. Oh, I should probably tell you where to get it, right? That would be important. Yeah. Because if I didn't do that, then you'd just be listening to us talk about shit without being able to make any decisions yourself. So, if you want to watch Sleepaway Camp, you can get it right now on IMDb TV. Oh, sorry. They changed the name. On Freevee, because that's a stupid goddamn name. Watch right. it for free at IMDb on Freevee. You can also get it on AMC+, Crackle, Peacock, Plex, Pluto TV, Screenbox, tons of shit. You can buy it on DVD or Blu-ray on Amazon or watch it on Tubi for free. It's also on Shudder, by the way. And on Shudder, yes. It's everywhere. So go watch it. And until next time, stay subversive. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend and leave us a rating and a review. Visit SubversiveCinemaPodcast.com for more information and to become a patron on our Patreon. Find out about bonus materials and patron-exclusive merch. So, 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 so